Jesus for my family. Come on. That's what we believe. Every son and daughter, mom and dad, grandmother, grandfather, grandson, granddaughter, Jesus for our family. We believe. Father, today we want to lift our families to you, Lord, our sons, our daughters, our parents. And we declare, Lord, that the circle will not be broken. We declare that our children will know and serve the Lord. Our grandchildren will know and serve the Lord. That our parents, that those that we love, our families will be saved. The Apostle Paul said to that Philippian jailer that he and his family would be saved. And that's what we say as we speak the name of Jesus from the mountains and the valleys, as we speak the healing, saving, gracious, loving, kind name of Jesus over our families right now. Amen. Amen. I want you to know that tonight I'm going to be preaching on the healing touch of Jesus. We heard earlier that where two or more are gathered together in his name, he said, I will be there in the midst. And so I know he's here. And I know he'll be here tonight as we gather in his name. And anywhere Jesus was, his touch brought healing. And there was two ways that that healing would come. Jesus would pass by and he would touch. Or someone would press in and touch him without him even knowing it. The result was the same. Healing. And so tonight... We're going to have a little different and a little special kind of service. I know we need some healing in my household right now. And I want to invite you to come back. And I want you to come back tonight full of faith. We're going to teach God's word. We're going to build faith as we look at Jesus and as we believe in his presence. And then we're going to minister in his name, healing, in this evening service. Also, next Sunday, I would appreciate your prayers. Is I will be in Yuma, Arizona doing... Tom Renard's Missions Conference, the church that sent us to Australia 35 years ago, and they've asked us to come and do their missions conference. So we'd appreciate your prayers for that as well. Just had a wonderful men's encounter yesterday. So powerful. I had the opportunity to be here in the afternoon and gather with the men. So life-changing, so life-giving. And Friday night, Matt was telling me, we had like 150 youth here in the building on Friday night. Let's give the Lord praise for that. That's pretty amazing pretty amazing. And so this Friday, as the parents are invited, come out, be a part of something that is blessed and anointed and is going to just keep firing for God. And I, that'll just be great. Thank you, team. You've been fantastic today. Let's give them a hand as well. Please take your seat. And those who have joined us online, we're so grateful for the miracle of technology that we could be here this morning and also there with you in your home. And, uh, or maybe you're listening uh, later to the service. Um, and we're just so grateful to, to be together by whatever means. Uh, but to be in the building is pretty special. And to be in this praise and this worship and this atmosphere is very, very special. So I have been teaching well, actually, since the first of the year for 10 months now, we've been teaching about fearless. And we've, we've been talking about creating a courage culture, especially 
We've already heard after a couple years of a you know, crazy culture and a cancel culture and a COVID culture and all those you know, things that are not good. But we've just felt and decided because God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and sound mind, that we could speak and decree and establish a courage culture. And a, few, a couple months ago, I spoke especially about creating a courage culture for our daughters and our sisters and our wives and our mothers and for the women. And then I'm kind of on part three today of uh, a courage, creating a courage culture for men, for sons, for brothers and fathers. And I'm teaching on the marks of manhood. And I know it's somewhat controversial in a culture that's kind of lost its way and uh, it's in a culture that's kind of confused. But I am asking the question, and I've been asking this question now, and this is kind of part three. I'm asking the question, what is the measure of a man? And even asking the question, what does it mean to be a man? We read the quote a few weeks ago by Edwin Lewis Cole that said, we're male by birth, but we're men by choice and the actions. Jesus said, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. He said, an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil things. So how... How do I know if I'm a good man? And we're reading from Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 13. And it says, until we all attain to mature manhood. This is the goal, to attain, to reach, to strive, to lean into. Till we attain something, till we lay hold of something. And what is this that we want to lay hold of? It's mature manhood, teleos anir in the Greek. Mature, full-grown Perfect, uh, complete, mature, mature manhood. Anir. This is the word for. It's not just mankind. It's man manhood. It doesn't. It's not anthropos. The word that just includes everybody. Now this is the word for men. Anir. So until we all attain, this is something we're reaching for. This is something we're working for. We attain to mature manhood, to the measure of not Hollywood and not some novel or book or some romantic idea or some crazy, woke, canceled culture. No, the measure is the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's the measure. And this is what we are seeking to lean into and to attain. A teleos anir, a mature man, to become the complete man. And it's a manhood that is measured. It is measured by the stature of Christ. We become a man by the measure of the man, Christ Jesus. And so I'm teaching on the five measures of a man. These are the five qualities that describe and distinguish a man. Five characteristics that you must embrace and employ to grow into, to attain unto this mature manhood, this teleos anir, so that you and I can become the complete man. And what are these five characteristics? Truthful, tender, tough, trustworthy, and teachable. 
These are the five facets that bring a man to the full measure of the man and the stature, Christ Jesus. Truthfulness, tenderness, toughness, trustworthiness, and teachableness. In these five mandates of manhood, you will find transparency because that's what truthfulness is all about. You will find humility because that's what tenderness is all about. You will find tenacity because that's what toughness is all about. You will find responsibility because that's what trustworthy is all about. And you will find accountability and that's what teachable is all about. And all of these five traits, these mandates for manhood, are modeled in the perfect man, Christ Jesus. Truthfulness. Oh, my goodness. John 14, 16, Jesus said, I am the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in John chapter 1 and verse 14, we read, speaking of Jesus, that he was begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He is the measure of truthful and truthfulness, full of truth. And in John 8, verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. See, the light is what causes us to be transparent. The light is where we're no longer living in shadows, performing and pretending and posing and posturing. No, we come into the light and we live authentic and we live transparent in the light. I am the light of the world and he who follows me shall not walk in pretending and posturing. No, he won't do that. He will not walk in shadows and darkness, but he will have the light of life. Jesus is the measure of truthful and truthfulness. And James said in chapter 1 and verse 17 that there was, there's no shadow in him. So truthful is the mark of a man, and it is the measure of the man, Christ Jesus. And so is tender. We read of Jesus in Matthew 12, 20, quoting an old prophecy about him. A bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench. Can you see the tenderness in that passage of Scripture? Can you see the carefulness of Jesus to not step on and break a reed that's bruised or to blow out the, 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 the smoldering, um, uh, what, uh, actually, the, this, uh, uh, this flax, I was, I was at the airport, <laughs> this is just random, sorry, just filling this in, but I was at the airport the other day, and I was trying to get through the line, and this uh, sweet, sweet, dear older lady was in front of me, of course, in, in my world, I'm usually the older person in the room now, but, but she, and, and I start, and she said, honey, she said, just go past me, she said, I'm slower than a wet wick. <laughs> Never heard that one before. <clears throat> I may need that in the future, so I just thought I'd hold on to that. But when, it, but when we say here, a smoking flax, he will not quench. One of the paraphrases in modern English says it this way. He won't brush aside the bruised and the broken. Aren't you glad? And he will be gentle with the weak 
and the feeble. Tenderness. He's the measure. And one of the most you know, beautiful scenes that we see showing the tenderness of Jesus is in Mark chapter 10 and verse 1. And we see this scene where it says, Then gathering the children up in his arms, he laid his hands on them and he blessed them. And he loved the children, and he said, don't forbid the children. Let them come to me. He said, if you offend one of these children, it would be better for you if you weren't born. (laughs) Tenderness, tenderness is the mark of a man, and it's the measure of the Christ. And so is toughness. Tender and tough. Caring and daring, grace and grit, gratitude and fortitude, humility and tenacity. I believe God made men to be tough and strong and resilient and tenacious and robust and hardy and durable And in a right sense, if you can hear me today, in a right sense, he made man even to be daunting and dangerous. To evil. I believe God has put deep within a man a heart to protect and a heart to defend and a heart to guard and a heart to secure and a heart to shield the weak and the vulnerable and the helpless. I believe it's there inside, even if men brush it aside and are evil in their workings, they're having to go against what what I believe God put. We are created in the image of God, and He is a defender and a protector. And in Psalm 82... Verse 3 and 4, we read, defend the poor and the fatherless, little vulnerable kids. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Why are they afflicted and needy? Because somebody's doing injustice, that's why. Deliver the poor and needy. Free them from the hand of of the wicked, and this is where a man is meant to be daunting and dangerous. God made men to protect and defend. I I never really knew this until I discovered something that took my breath away when I was 16 years old. I'm the oldest of six children. And when I was 16, I took my little sister to a school dance. And there was a guy in our school. If I were to say he was a bully, everybody would know what I mean. But this guy was scary, dangerous. Uh, I was so intimidated by him and the stories that followed him. We all knew he carried a knife. We all knew that he was mean, mean and, and cruel. And I just... I just wanted to have nothing to do with this guy. As a matter of fact, if I walked on our high school quadrant and he was anywhere near, I just, you know, I, I'm, I'm good. I'll just walk around the other side. I, I, I'm just, this guy, 
I was, I was really wanted nothing to do with him. But that night at that dance with my little sister, I found out he was there. Great. If I'd have known that guy was going to be there, we, we'd have never gone. And so I just went over to the other side of the gymnasium where the dance was in our high school there and, and uh, just, you know. And then somebody came up to me about an hour into the evening and said, uh, you know, so-and-so is here. I said, I know, I know. I'm just, he said, I think you need to know he's talking about what he's going to do to your little sister tonight. something happened to me. I had no idea that this could happen. But a switch just went in me. And all of a sudden, every intimidation and fear and... I just, it, it's just like, he's going to do something. He's going to hurt my little sister. And I can't believe it was like I had an out-of-body experience. I walked... Over to the, to the corner where he was, I knew he was armed. I, knew, I, did, I was like, I couldn't believe me. I couldn't see. I didn't even know me. I'm like above me, and I walked right up to him, and I stood right before him, and I said to him that he would in no wise touch my little sister. I got eyeball to eyeball him, toe to toe to him. I couldn't believe it. I'm thinking, stop it, stop it. You're an idiot. You're going to die. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I'll never forget that was 16, I'm 70, and I can still remember the exact thing he said to me when I told him he would not touch my sister. He looked around at the security that was there, and he said, if this place wasn't full of security right now, I would knife your guts out. That's what he said. Now, he didn't, but he also didn't touch my little sister. But I have no idea what happened to me in that moment. Except that God puts in the heart of a man a character like his own to protect and to defend. And it wasn't me. It was something above me and beyond me. Now, I want to introduce you to a good friend of mine on the screen. This is Phil and Renee Murdoch. Phil Murdoch and I for many years served together in the Global 12 Project. Phil and Renee are missionaries in Brazil. Phil speaks perfect Brazilian or uh, language. He's, uh, he's, he's actually, they're, bo they're, both from, they're both Southerners from Mississippi, but he's lived his whole life, uh, and he speaks beautiful Portuguese. That's right, in Brazil, right, Portuguese? And uh, I think he's even, I think he even was a translator for Billy Graham once, you know, just lovely couple. Carol and I have loved them through the years. We've had many meals together. Beautiful family, beautiful children. But they live in Rio. And there's a lot of bad things that happen in Rio. A lot of crime, a lot of terrible things, actually, that happen. Uh, as a matter of fact, there's another story. I won't tell it right now, but something happened to Renee that they're literally making a movie out of. But, but Phil, Phil is just tender. He's just a good guy. He's, he's, I love him. Hey, uh, one night, Phil and Renee and their children were in their home, in their little apartment in Rio, and they had a home invasion from a ruthless, ruthless gang of men. And they burst into Phil's home, and they tied him up. They literally tied him and his wife, his children, and they just figured that because they were Americans, there was money in the house. 
And they didn't realize that they're missionaries, and there was no money in the house. And they went through the entire house. They ransacked the house, and they kept coming back. Where is it? Where's the money? There is no money, he said. They found a computer. They, got, they took the computer, put it in a bag. They were getting more and more frantic and more and more crazy. And finally, they came up to Phil. And the leader said, if you do not tell me where the money is, I'm going to take your wife and your daughter into that bedroom. Phil said, if you take my wife or my daughter into that bedroom, one of us is going to die right now. I'm either going to die trying to stop you or you're going to die trying to rape them. He said that on his knees with his hands tied behind his back. And that gang leader looked at Phil Murdoch, took the computer, and told his men, let's go. And they left his house. Phil is tender and tough. Tender and tough. That's the marks of a man. He's tender and he's tough. When I think of tender and tough, I think of Stuart McClement. Tender as tears and tough as nails. I think of my best mate, Rob DeMartin. Kind, kind, and courageous. I watched Rob, who's had the greatest fear of heights, wouldn't even look at the Grand Canyon. I watched him climb the highest freestanding mountain on earth in Africa as he summited Kilimanjaro, summoning all the courage and all the toughness that a man can summon. You see, tender and tough, that's the mark of a man, and it's the measure of the man. You need to be tough enough to turn the other cheek if it's slapped for the cause of Christ. But at the same time, you need to be tough enough to put someone on their cheek if it's to protect and defend the weak and the helpless or your wife or your children. Right. Toughness is the measure of a man. And it is the measure of the man, Christ Jesus. In John chapter 2, in verse 13. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. Now, let me just tell you about their business. So this was the business of the money changers. To go and pay your temple tax, they would only accept a certain minted silver coin, which they had all of. You would have to take three regular silver coins and exchange it for the one coin that the priests would accept. It was just extortion. It was absolute extortion. And not only were the money changers extorting the people who were coming to do to the temple, to God, to, to his house. Then they had these animals, and they were charging exorbitant prices for people. Way, way more than, and, and it was just robbery. And it was just extortion. And Jesus, when he made 
a whip of cords. So this wasn't just some, I lost my temper. This was, I'm braiding this whip, dreaming and imagining what I'm going to be doing with it in the next hour or so, however long it takes me to braid this whip. And I'm going to drive out every thief and every money changer and every, every, whoo, hallelujah. (laughs) And when he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. He poured out the changers' money, overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. This is the Greek word emporium. And then his disciples, see, he did that all by himself. And the disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. Jesus also was tender as tears and tough as nails. He was just an old tradie himself. Tender and tough. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, they go down into the Kedron Valley and come up the bottom part of the Mount of Olives there to the Garden of Gethsemane. John 18. Verse 1, after saying these things, Jesus crossed the Kedron with his disciples, and he entered a grove of olive trees. Judas, the betrayer, knew this place because Jesus had often gone there with his disciples. The leading priests and Pharisees had given Judas a contingent of Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany him. This word, a contingent, is the Greek word spira, spira. And Thayer's Dictionary of Greek Words says that a spira was 600 legionnaires. Come on, you only need 300 to make a blockbuster movie. 600 legionnaires plus Scores of police and temple guards. Hundreds and hundreds of armed men and elite soldiers. Verse 3. Now with blazing torches, lanterns, and weapons, they arrived at the olive grove. And watch this. Jesus stepped forward. To meet them. Who are you looking for? He asked. And you can just imagine the arrogance of 600 legionnaires and all of the, the police and the temple guards. And I can only imagine how they, you know, would, in my thinking, who are you seeking? We're seeking Jesus flipping Christ, the flipping Nazarene. That's who we're seeking. Jesus replied, Ego imi. Ego imi, which is translated, I am. The modern translators add he. 
I am he. But in the original language, what Jesus says is, ego, imi, I am, which is exactly the phrase that God from a fiery bush spoke to Moses when Moses said, whom shall I say sent us? Whom shall I say has sent me? And God said, I am. I am. Well, all of a sudden, that phrase is said again, and it is said by Jesus. I am, Jesus said. As Jesus said, ego e me, I am, they all drew back and fell to the ground. They were literally blown off their feet. Every torch and lantern and weapon and legionnaire and cop and temple guard were violently, forcefully knocked to the ground. The Greek word says they were thrust down. Kaboom! They were thrust down. They lay on the ground. They've had the wind knocked out of them. And eventually, they all caught their breath. You know, you feel like you're going to die when you get the wind knocked out of you. Eventually, they all caught their breath, regathered themselves, and all of their kit, all their torches, and all their weapons, and they stood back up, and once more, he asked them, who are you looking for? I think their answer was a little different this time. Jesus, the Nazarene. I told you that I am he, Jesus said. And since I am the one you want, let these go. Tough. Tender as tears. Tough as nails. Truthfulness, tenderness, and toughness are the measure of mature manhood. We also see this not only in the life of our master, not only in the life of Jesus, the measure of a man, but we see this in the Old Testament in the life of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was in Babylon in the captivity. He was the king's cupbearer. Some of the Jews had made their way back to Jerusalem. And he gets a report. Nehemiah is a man of stature. And we read in chapter 1, the second verse, he says, Hananiah, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. And I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. So we see here the tenderness of Nehemiah. We see the tears of Nehemiah. And we know that eventually the king commissions Nehemiah to go to Jerusalem where his burden is. And he 
resources him with all the material to build the walls of Jerusalem that have fallen down. A mega task. And so now we go to another verse in another chapter where Nehemiah has been working, working, working to rebuild the walls. Chapter 6, verse 1. When Sanballat, Tobiah, Gish of the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and there were no more breaks in it, even though I hadn't yet installed the gates, Sanballat, Geshem, sent this message. Come and meet with us at Kephraim in the valley of Ono. I knew they were scheming to hurt me. So I sent messengers back with this. I'm doing a great work. I can't come down. Why should the, why should the work... Why should the work come to a standstill? Just so I can come down to see you. Four times they sent this message, and four times I gave the same answer. They were trying to intimidate us into quitting. They thought, they'll give up. They'll never finish it. And I prayed, give me strength. That's the prayer of a man right there. Give me strength. Give me strength. And then I met secretly, secretly with Shemaiah at his house. And he said, let's meet at the house of God inside the temple. Let's find safety behind locked doors because they're coming to kill you. Yes, coming by night to kill you. And I said, why would a man like me run for cover? And why would a man like me take shelter in the temple of God? I won't do it. Why would a man like me run? Why would a man like me hide? Why would a man like me stop this work? I won't do it. And then we read these fabulous words just a little bit later. After Nehemiah, tough Nehemiah, tender Nehemiah, and after tough Nehemiah stood his ground, here's what we read in verse 15. The wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul. It had taken 52 days. I'm telling you, that would be a major feat for the biggest builders with the biggest equipment and the biggest technology in the world, let alone men who only work with one arm, because with one arm they held a sword, and with the other they held a trowel. And in, 50, and in 52 days, watch this, when all our enemies heard the news and all the surrounding nations saw it, our enemies totally lost their nerve. Come on, somebody. That was exactly what the enemy wanted to happen to Nehemiah. But it's exactly what happened to them because Nehemiah was not the kind of man to run and he was not the kind of man to hide and he was not the kind of man to stop. They knew that God was behind this work. 
Thank God for a man like Nehemiah. A truthful man. A tender man. A tough man. Tough men are not easily intimidated. They won't back up or back down or back away because they have a backbone. Because they're tough. Because they're tenacious. Because they're unintimidated. Our theme is fearless. Creating a courage culture for men. For sons and brothers and fathers. And I'm asking the question, what is the measure of a man? And what does it mean to be a man? In Ephesians 4.13, we, we finish where we began. Can I have the team come? Until we all attain to mature manhood. To complete manhood. To full-grown manhood. The measure of which is the stature and the fullness of Jesus Christ. And I'm talking, and of course, I don't... You know, I don't even hardly need to say this, but anyone who's followed me on this, women are tougher than men. So don't, don't, I'm not even going to go there. We could be talking about how tough women are, but, and, and I believe that, and I, and, 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 but, th- but that's not our talk. Our talk is men, and we've talked a little bit about women, and so I'm not here trying to pit one against the other. I'm here trying to help men like myself measure up measure up to the stature of the man the man and I don't think the women in here mind me talking to the men is that correct I'm just talking to myself men get it wrong because they're tough at the wrong time because they're posing and they're pretending and they're arrogant that's all bad that's all wrong they're they're violent shame on you evil men evil men but there are good men and there is the measure of a good man And it's because there are good men that evil men are stopped. Tough. Tender. Truthful. And there's still more to talk about when we talk about trustworthy. And there's still more to come when we talk about teachable, when we talk about responsibility, and when we talk about Accountability. Would you stand with me? I mentioned a couple men in our church when I talked about toughness. The truth is, I could name, I could, I could mention a hundred men. I could mention hundreds of men in our church that I've had the privilege of many years, decades now walking alongside men like Neil, tenderhearted, and yet literally running across a war zone to retrieve translated gospel materials that they had spent years and they were losing now in the middle of a civil war, running through that fire, running through live fire to retrieve those kinds of documents that could never be replaced. Years and years and years worth of work, tender and tough. that's what I'm talking about. 
So I'd like every man to pray with me. Lord Jesus, I fall so short of your measure. I fall so short of your stature. But I'm leaning and pressing and reaching and seeking to attain. Help me and help every man in this house, Lord, become men who are truthful, men who are tender, men who are tough, men who are trustworthy, and men who are teachable. Help us, Lord. Help us to become men of God, good men who out of the good treasure of their heart bring forth good things, men that women and children can trust, men that women and children can feel safe with, men that stand for what is right. Help us, Father, to be men like Jesus. Help us, Lord. Help every man to grow and to press in and to become those complete men, those mature men, men of God, men of this house, men for this nation, sons that would rise up, O God, that would lead our nation, sons, Lord, that would be not intimidated, Lord, not backing down, Lord, that we would stand for love and truth and right, that we would hate evil, we would hate wickedness, we would hate everything that comes, Lord, with it. That God, we would be a, that we would be a people that you could be proud of. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.